This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano broadcasting live coast to coast from WABC in New York to KMOX in St. Louis, from WCBM in Baltimore to KWAM in Memphis, from WOND in Atlantic City to WFDF in Detroit. The empire of stations carrying The Other Side of Midnight continues to grow, and for that, I thank you, our many loyal listeners and our fans that have been so supportive. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the best month? First month that comes to your head. What is the best month? Well, I just read this article by uh, Stephen, um, it was not a writer that was familiar with, Stephen Karutz in the New York Times, an interesting guy. He covers cultural trends, social media, and the world of design for the New York Times. And he makes a pretty compelling case that January, the month we're in now, is the best month. Now, I saw this headline. I said, oh, come on. Has this guy not heard about seasonal affective disorder or anything else? Come on. Guy can't be serious. He makes a very interesting case. So obviously it gets dark early. The weather is dreary, and sometimes it can feel like there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. But for fans of January, those are features, not flaws. The month also has a distinctive calm. And a lack of social social commitments, which is a relief for some after an overbooked end of the year. And so uh, in an ode to the month that Stephen Karutz argues that once you see why January is the best month, best month, you may never want it to end. I do have to tell you, do you know what I um, I have planned this weekend? Almost nothing. I don't think that could have been said of a weekend for the last six months, I have a, you know, we're going to do something hopefully with my Aunt Camille on Friday afternoon for her birthday. And then getting together for a couple of friends, with a couple of friends for either dinner or drinks on uh, early Saturday evening. That's it. Now, I'm not sure if my wife's going to come to that dinner. And she said if, um, if she doesn't come, she's got no plans this weekend. And we have nothing Sunday other than church and football which is exactly how I prefer because it gives me time to work on the show and some time to sleep. But the obviously January lacks for sunlight. It has some of the worst weather in the northern hemisphere. And there's this dreary cold that happens to stretch on for 31 days. And it's a month without social holidays. I mean, you have Martin Luther King Jr. Day observed, but at least for most people, while it is a day off, it's not a day where you have to worry about getting gifts, sending cards, going somewhere. Even February is, you know, has Valentine's Day. And January doesn't even have the Super Bowl anymore, the one day of excitement. 
So the he, Stephen Karutz argues that the very things that make January a bit of a bore have endeared it to its fans. And while many people loathe the month because it means a restart of the daily grind, there's a stand-up comedian named Robert Mack that welcomes the return of steady work. He says, I dislike breaking up my routine in the second half of December. You remember uh, Brian Kilmeade, when he was on this show, we usually do a lunch around the holidays. And, you know, remember a couple of weeks ago, he said, we decided we're going to hold off till January because everybody's just so busy in December. There are too many things to do. And I do have to say, I appreciate that because you do feel like almost you're running a party marathon in December. And it's great. And you get to see everybody and uh, eat and drink too much. And then there's January and you finally get to take a breath. Chelsea Delman, real estate agent in Providence, Rhode Island. January is quickly becoming my favorite month. I don't have to go to any parties. I don't have to go to any holidays. I don't have to do anything. I can just chill. Um, Ms. Delman said, I have three family birthdays in the week of Christmas, and my father's birthday and my best friend's birthday are both on the 26th. By the time January comes around, I feel like I can breathe again. I feel like I've gone to the spa in January. You know, these people make a very interesting case, and there's a lot of other people that they talk to that are fans of January. I think it's, you know, I'm not going to say it's my favorite month, but I do like it for a lot of the reasons people are mentioning including this this sense of calm right after such a hectic month like December. So I'm curious what you think about that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. One of the things in the media that I am pretty optimistic about and pretty excited about, quite frankly, is the rise of independent media. It used to be that if the 20 radio stations in your city weren't playing the kind of music that you were listening to or, um, you know, having the kind of news content or talk content that you were interested in hearing, you were out of luck. It used to be that if the four newspapers that served your area, if you were in a bigger city, maybe you had more, if they weren't providing you with the kind of perspectives you wanted to hear on the news, you were out of luck. If your television stations on cable and on broadcast, if you, you know, if we're talking the cable era, weren't providing you with the perspective on the things that you wanted to hear, especially the news, you were done. We are living in an era now where independent media is rising and thriving. Everybody has their favorites, but if you look at the really the empires of viewers, listeners, and readers that independent content producers have been able to put together, it's been extraordinary. You look at what Bill O'Reilly's been able to do. You look at what Megyn Kelly's been able to do. Glenn Greenwald, Lee Fong, Michael Tracy, Matt Taibbi, Tom Likas, to some extent. All of these people are their own boss. They're answerable to no one. And because of the following they have, they've become uncancelable. They can't say something controversial and lose their show or lose their job. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. I'd love to get to the point of being uncancelable. If you want to help us get there, follow me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, uh, at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-L. Now, I just called it Twitter. The proper name is X. One of the things that Elon Musk did 
when he wanted to, when he renamed it X, is he wanted to make this not just a social media platform, he wanted to make this what he called the everything app. He wanted to make this your one-stop shop for commerce, uh, media, social media, everything. That's why they rebranded it X, the everything app. And so one of the first things he did in this mission was get Tucker Carlson to start producing content on what's now X. And, you know, I like a lot of what Tucker's doing. I like it, for the most part, much more than his Fox News show because I under, my impression with the Fox News show was he was always trying to kind of, I don't know, it was always getting Foxified. Like, he'd do, do a really powerful opening monologue and then he'd have to play some dopey game on who knows the news the best. Or he'd do a great monologue, have a great guest, and then he has to have, a, you know, a Fox News contributor on talking about something that nobody cares about. And I feel like he's had the freedom in this new format to do more of what he wants to do. And it's free. Now, I haven't liked everything that he's wanted to do. He did this ridiculous interview with this drug addict that claimed to have had sex with Barack Obama that I thought was just just shameful. Honestly, I thought it was ridiculous. But you know what I did? I didn't watch it. And that's the thing about independent media. I have the choice to watch or not watch. And so do you. Well, now, you know who is also signing up with X? Don Lemon. Don Lemon is getting in business with Elon Musk. And uh, obviously, Don Lemon was on CNN, generally considered on the left, whereas Tucker was generally considered on the right. And the former CNN anchor announced the formation of his own media company and revealed that its first project will be producing The Don Lemon Show, which he said will be made available... Um, across the internet, but first on X. So while a lot of the world's leading brands have ceased doing business with X or choosing to spend advertising dollars there, Lemon is opting in, who, you know, Tucker used to call Lemon Don Lemon. He used to make fun of him on almost a regular basis, and he greeted him enthusiastically yesterday. He lauded Don Lemon, congratulating him, and he said, welcome, uh, this is a new world. And Don Lemon responded, thanks, Tucker. So, uh, and the head of Twitter, Linda Yaccarino, responded to both of them, this is X. Also, Jim Rome in the sports world is now joining X. And somebody that I have a lot of respect for, and I, someone I wish was running for president, Tulsi Gabbard. She's announced a partnership with X. Free speech is something that a lot of us have taken for granted throughout our lives. It is fundamental to our rights that we have as Americans. Unfortunately, we live in a time where free speech is under attack. Lifting up your voice in dissent or challenge or questioning or even having a dialogue and debate is not only discouraged, it can be cause for retaliation or cancellation or censorship. We must defend our right to free speech by using it. I'm excited to announce today a partnership with X, a platform that under the leadership of Elon Musk not only uh, defends free speech, it is celebrated and encouraged. So I'm looking forward to launching some new projects with them where I'll tell the stories and tell the truth about what's happening here in our country and around the world, the truth that most often those in power don't want us to hear. 
I'll also be sharing a series of short films that lift up the voices of those who are most negatively impacted by the decisions of those in power, but whose voices aren't being heard. See you soon. I tell you, I think this is pretty exciting. The rise of independent media in general is exciting, but also what X is trying to do is pretty exciting. Not just make this a, a social media echo chamber for right-wing voices. You have uh, increasingly more perspectives, and beyond just the political, Jim Rome is a sports guy, right? So I think this is great, and I'm hoping that this works out and that um, and that they're able to help more content creators get their content to more and more people. So I think what's happening with Don Lemon, who I'll be honest, I never had, I, I was never really a fan of, but who cares if I'm a fan of? If you were a fan of him, you can watch him now. I think that Musk is probably offering him a pretty significant amount of money, I have no idea what, to lure him back to X. And I think that there that he'd love nothing more that every time X is called racist or anti-Semitic or uh, ultra right wing than to be able to point to Don Lemon's show when accused of giving a platform to bigots or misinformers, especially in conversations with p- potential adversi- advertisers that they're trying to lure back. You know, he can say, look, we've got Don Lemon. X is a place for all sides and hopefully it will be. So you can already see the argument being made. And uh, I am curious how you think this is going to work out. Tulsi, Don Lemon, Jim Rome, Tucker, all going to X. 800-848-9222. Also curious what you think about the uh, rise of independent media in general. 800-848-9222. Let me say, uh, Charles is in Queen. What's what's on your mind, Charles? Yeah, first of all, you're talking about X. Everybody seems to... Still want to call it Twitter. Right. Maybe I do. Should name yes. it better. Anyways, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I think, would be a great uh, vice presidential nominee. But the person that impressed me very much recently is, I think her first name is Elise, I'm not sure, Stefanik. Not only the way she interrogated those three Ivy League presidents, but I heard her being uh, questioned by a journalist, and she was so spirited in her response. I mean, wow, because there aren't enough Republicans that really have what it takes to answer back the Democrats, that they're just always afraid. Now, as far as the grammar, two grammar observations, I'm 75 years old now, and I'm pretty damn sure that in the past, who and whom was used the opposite the way it's been used lately. Do you agree with me? No. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, whom is uh, is something that you were always supposed to use after a preposition. You know, um, you like for instance, you would say uh, about whom or ab- above whom, you know, whereas if there's no preposition there, then you use who. Yeah, but would one say whom are you referring to or who? I, I, I you would, would say, say whom are you referring well, to? Well, no, that's, right? I mean, again, I, I'm not in the business of correcting people. I make enough errors, but I, that's, my understanding is that's incorrect. You wouldn't say, who, whom are you referring to? You'd say, who are you referring to? You could say, to whom are you referring, because right, you got that whom, preposition right, right, there. Right, that's different, right. But another observation that I made is that I feel like this. People have always been saying, uh, let's say, talk about two people, he said, Sam and me. Oh, they were corrected in many cases, Sam and I, so, or the other person and I. So now 
everybody uses the I instead of me, me when me is appropriate. In other words, if, if you're right, that's say, a good point. They that's gave something point. to us. If it's us instead of we, it should be Sam and me. But no, 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 no. Everybody uses Sam and I, you know, X and I. Always and I, because that's what they think is correct. And they're misusing it. Many a time, it should be me. My opinion. Yeah, well, uh, you're exactly right about that, Charles. Thank you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Marianne is in Indiana. Hello, Marianne. Hi, Frank. Uh, I find myself watching sports now on Twitter. Which sports? Are what are you, you watching? I X. <laughs> right, right. I still call it Twitter, too. What do you find yourself <laughs> watching on there? Oh, I, I like to watch uh, the IE basketball games or the NBA because uh, sometimes the NBAs are a little long for Indiana Pacers, so I just watch the uh, Twitter feeds on or X feeds on them. Well, I, look, I, again, I think that's kind of what Elon Musk is trying to do is make it a place that whatever kind of content you're interested in, there's a place for it there. And um, I hope he does well. Look, I hope he, I know it's lost a lot of value since he bought it. But, uh, you know, I, I give him credit for at least trying trying to do something here and amplifying uh, free speech rather than trying to hinder it. Yeah. And, you know, the games are so long and everything. You get the best of uh quickly if you don't have time you know to enjoy a game yeah it's a great point marianne uh well said thank you 800-848-9222 800-848-9222 you know as far as at least the phonic goes i know um i i didn't i remember to comment on it when uh, charles brought her up i don't think she'd be a good running mate for um for uh, president trump i have nothing against her really I just and my, one of my closest friends works for her. So if she became vice president, he'd be in a very good position. But uh, so I, again, from a personal perspective, I'm rooting for her to become you know vice president and whatever else. But I just I don't think she del- brings anything to the table in terms of anything electoral, right? I mean, I, I think um, she doesn't necessarily win. She doesn't bring her home state to the table. She doesn't help you with independence because she's become so right-wing as of late. I don't even know, like those terms, right-wing, but she's become more in line with, um, you know, with, with conventional standards of right-wing. Whereas if you took somebody like um, Tim Scott or Christine Noam, somebody that definitely doesn't hurt you, I think those people might bring something to the table, right? Stefanik, I think Trump may be fond of her, and he might like to put a place uh, for her in his administration in some capacity. I don't think she'd be a good running mate, honestly. 800-848-9222. Larry, what are your thoughts? Yes, you know, this whole uh, me, I'm, this is new to me, this this X is, what is that, another Twitter? No, it is Twitter. Twitter. It is Twitter. It, yeah. Musk renamed it X. Okay, this whole transformation of the media into a cult of personality is nauseating. And I think that uh, CNN and and MSNBC, those all those biased shows where where they cultivated groupthink, you know, I mean, that's paved the way for this, basically. And uh, even Tucker, I mean, I always felt like the the message was Tucker. It wasn't what he was saying. And and if, if he was off base, I would say. Oh, well, I'm wrong. I'm the one that's wrong because this is Tucker. You know, I mean, you know, I'm I'm disagreeing with the news. No, but Tucker is not the news. And and I I don't think that this is a proper uh, function of the media to make a cult of personality. I mean, uh, Don, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure I do, actually, Larry, because 
I, I feel like um, what, what what's being done now, it's allowing everybody to experience and consume whatever kind of content they want, right? So I'm very into, um, you know, Atlantic City stuff, right? So I follow a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of YouTube channels that have stuff that related to Atlantic City, whereas in the old days of the old media, I would have to watch the news or watch TV and hope that there was a story about Atlantic City. Now I don't have to wait. I can just go and follow my favorite Atlantic City podcasters. Yeah, but you're talking about a different aspect that I'm talking about. It's not like uh, Tucker and Don Lemon are going to be talking about different things. They're going to be talking about the same thing and expressing radical different views on it. Right. So what's, I don't think what's, I don't, that's what's, proper. Why? Why? What's wrong with that? Why? Because we're not we're not out for opinions. We're out for objectivity. Well, but, and when you but but honestly, Larry, um, if you're watching Don Lemon or Tucker. I don't think you're expecting objectivity. If you're watching one or both of them, you're watching because you want their opinion. That's exactly my point. I don't think we should be cultivating opinions in, in, in media, in news. Right. Well, uh, that, it's but, entered. It's entered. This, it, it's transformed media. This, And I think it came from these biased networks. So what we're doing is we're inheriting that. That aspect of, of promoting I, I hear, bias. I hear, I hear what you're saying, Larry. I hear what you're saying, and um, I, I get what you're saying, and I agree with you to some extent. However, I think, um, and thanks for the call, I think what you're seeing now is an expansion, is really the democratization of media. You can see and hear whatever you want. You know, um, my brother is listening to us in Australia right now on the 77 WABC app. He wouldn't have been able to do that years ago. If he wanted to hear this show, he would have to, he couldn't do it. We'd have to send him a tape. Couldn't be done. So I don't think we're worst off because he's able to listen to us in Australia. I just, I think this is an area where technology has been good. And the other thing that I worry about, and I applaud people that try to put forward um, objectivity in news. I think News Nation is trying to do that to some extent. And certain other individual news anchors, uh, Brett Baer, for instance, and I'm sure some others. But what we saw, really, in the era that I think it seems like you're longing for, Larry, when people were claiming to be objective, they weren't objective. They were opinionated. They were just slanting what you thought was objective news in a manner to fit their opinion and for them to try to convince you. Now, now, you know, uh, it's very interesting that when the Hunter Biden crashed that, uh, when he appeared at that congressional hearing yesterday, the four networks, uh, Fox News, MSNBC, uh, CNN, and, um, you know, I think it was Bloomberg, all had different terms for what Hunter Biden did. Uh, Hunter Biden appeared. Hunter Biden surprised. And then um, for Fox, it was Hunter Biden crashed. I think it's great that you can watch a news channel or a news personality, as in the case of Don Lemon or Tucker, and know what you're getting into, right? I know that when I watch Tucker, I'm not getting an objective recitation of the news. I'm getting his view, right? Um you know, there are other sources that you can follow that are a little less opinionated, right? I think there's nothing wrong with opinion-based journalism or commentary as long as you know that's what it is. 
The problem for me is when objective journalism is just a mask for secretly opinionated journalism. I hope I'm being clear. And, you know, again, I think this goes well beyond news, right? You heard Marion in Indiana talk about how she enjoys watching sports on, on X. I like a lot of Atlantic City content. There's also, there's now, if you're into, um, you know, cucumber commentary, if you're into hearing about nothing but cucumber commentary, there's, I'm sure, a YouTube channel for you. And I think that's great. And it's exciting. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. was his top of the hour theme for so many years uh so my wife and i 33 minutes after the hour my wife and i yesterday it took four attempts but we finally finished another motion picture we're getting in a little bit of a groove now now that we're in award season we're seeing all the films that are nominated at least as many as possible so yesterday we completed watching the film the holdovers now i was very eager to see uh to see this film For a couple of reasons. One, the director, it was directed by uh, Alexander Payne, who did About Schmidt, which I loved. Uh, He did Sideways, which I loved. He did Nebraska, which I really like. So I'm a fan of this director. And it stars um, uh, Paul Giamatti, who I think is one of the best actors in the world. In the world, honestly. I think he's terrific on, uh, I think he's terrific in everything. But I'm I'm a fan of Paul Giamatti. And I was very eager to see this film because this is one of the few films in 2023 that Debbie Schlussel actually liked. You remember, she said this was one of her top films of the year. So I said, whoa, if Debbie Schlussel, who hates everything, likes it, it's got to be, you know, at least worth thinking about. So um, I have to tell you, I, so basically what it's about, it's a comedy drama set around Christmas time. So I think it helps to watch it around this time of year or in December. It's set in 1970, and basically it follows a bad-tempered history teacher, that's Paul Giamatti, at a New England boarding school who's forced to hand to chaperone a handful of students with nowhere to go on Christmas break. You know, one student is very difficult, the teacher's very difficult, everyone's battling their own demons. 
I have to tell you, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I loved it, but I really, really liked it. There are moments where it's very funny. It's the, the humor doesn't take away from the drama. All of the characters I found to be incredibly relatable. I thought it was uh, really terrific. It was like a lot of the other Alexander Payne films uh, that I've seen. And, um, you know, great story, great acting, wonderful music, beautiful music, especially if you like me and you really like a lot of late 60s, early 70s music. I think it is absolutely worth uh, worth checking out. And you know what else I liked about it? I watched this film. And it's long. It's almost two and a half hours, which is why it took us two, you know, um, you know, four times to get through it. I didn't, I watched this and I didn't get the impression that I was being banged over the head by some sort of propaganda, you know, whether it's pro gay or pro LGBT or, um, you know, uh, pro um, Israel or anti Israel. I, I got the sense that it was just a movie. It wasn't about some, it's trying to send me a secret message about some oppressed group. You know, there were a a few themes that had to do with class in the early 1970s and how the rich people, rich people get certain things that the working class don't get. But I think that's very true. And I think it was certainly true in the midst of the Vietnam War. There are um, a couple of black characters that are used to illustrate that maybe things aren't just for black people in America in the 1970s. And, you know, again, I didn't get the sense they were hitting you over the head with it. It was done very well. And I didn't get the sense that they were trying to send you a message with it. So I am giving a, I'm giving two thumbs up. A, well, I know Jeffrey Lyons doesn't like when we use thumbs. I am giving four stars out of a possible five to uh to the holdovers i think it was a really interesting film if you're interested in checking it out it's on streaming i don't remember what platform we saw it on because we you just speak into your remote control you're able to watch it here's a little bit of the trailer to the holdovers sir i don't understand that's glaringly apparent i can't fail this class oh don't sell yourself short mr coates i truly believe that you can Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the Holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep. In the now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. 
History is not simply the study of the past, it is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. <laughs> I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lift down my shirt? No. <laughs> yes. You're gonna get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. So I enjoyed it. I'm not like I said. I'm not sure what streaming platform it's on. Uh, we have one of those smart televisions where you could just speak into your remote control and say "The Holdovers," and it comes right up. Now that confuses my son from time to time because he doesn't always call shows what they are. If he wants to watch Sesame Street, sometimes he'll call it Elmo, right? Uh, the, the, he likes the movie Cars, so he'll say movie cause, movie cause, uh, you know, and so he really likes Coco Melon. So, you know, there came a time this afternoon, yesterday afternoon, where I thought he had watched enough television. And, um, well, you know, we don't let, like to let him watch TV except a little bit after dinner and a little bit in the morning. But so we were playing and he decided he was done playing. And so he decides and he was a good boy. So I, I think I let him watch a few minutes. But um, he decides he's done playing with me. He wants to go grab the remote control and watch Coco Melon. But he doesn't call Coco Melon Coco Melon. He calls it JJ. So he's sitting there. He's standing there because he's running away from me because he knows I'm going to take the remote control away. He's holding the remote control and speaking into it, asking it to play JJ. Now, the television doesn't know what JJ is. It's waiting for someone to say Coco Melon. So I'm saying, let me help you. I'll help you. I'll, I'll let you watch it for a few minutes. And um, he was not having it. He kept saying self, self. But, uh, you know, this is his attempt at trying to get the television to play Coco Melon. You want me to help you? Thank you. He's talking Thank to the remote there. Thank he slows down. Can I help you? At this point, he's getting a little frustrated. Let me help you, buddy. He's running away from me. Look, buddy, I'll show you how to do it. Come on, let me help. So, I eventually got the remote and I gave in, gave him a few minutes of television. All right, 800-848-9222, Chris is in the Catskills. Hi, Chris. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. So, Nikki, Nikki Haley and Don Lemon should have a platform program together on X or maybe even a talk radio program because it's not going to work out for her as president. I was actually surprised. I thought DeSantis got the better of her in the debate. She had some moments where, she let the emotional aspect of the uh, 
competition get the better of her when she misspoke like three times in a row. Yeah, I, I mean, right I, Chris, I, I didn't I, I didn't watch any of it. I wouldn't waste my time. I mean, neither of these two people, uh, the closest either of these two people is ever going to get to uh, the White House is if they sign up for a White House tour. So what's the point? What's the point? I mean, uh, you take the most interesting presidential candidate running, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and you exclude him from the debate, and then you take the person that's not, that who's absolutely going to be the nominee, Donald Trump, and he's not in the debate. Well, what's the point? It's just, to me, it's a waste of time. I, mean, I don't understand. And we, you know, we all know DeSantis is dropping out after Iowa. The guy is, he's, if it's possible, he's an unelected lame duck. You know, we know whose interests Nikki Haley is serving, the military industrial complex and corporate America and the people that have been paying her bills for the last five years. What's the point? I see no value in watching the debate, a debate with those two who have no chance of being elected president ever. What's the value? I mean, I'd rather sit and watch, um, you know, and, you know, a debate between Jody Foster and Matt Blaze on the merits of Generation Z in the workplace. 800 John is in North Carolina. Hello, John. Hey. Uh, do you, did you ever hear about the story about the NASA engineer that discovered an O-ring and the space shuttle Challenger would not shrink like it was supposed to? And it, it was supposed to shrink within 30 seconds. And or two seconds, and it didn't. In a half an hour, he told it to his supervisor, and the supervisor ignored it, and that's why the shuttle blew up. I, I read I, this article. Yeah, I, I have heard that, and that's exactly what the uh, what the problem w- was with the Challenger. And I've looked at this pretty closely, but uh, because this was the uh, first you know space shuttle to blow up in my lifetime, and I, I've spent some time talking with Pat Buchanan about it, who worked in the Reagan White House at the time and actually wrote the remarks that Reagan um, gave to the nation when when that occurred. And you're right, it was these um, the failure of these O-ring seals in a joint in the shuttle's uh, rocket booster. And it uh, totally, it, the sudden, the record low temperatures on the morning of the launch, they stiffened the rubber O-rings and reduced their ability to uh, seal the joint. So after lift liftoffs, these seals were breached, and you had all this hot pressurized gas leak through the joint and burn through, uh, you know, an attachment, and it was just a disaster, a total disaster. Wow. Um, I got... The funny thing is the last article I ever read in print, because I've always been pretty blind in my life, and I started having headaches. And I went to the doctor, and he gave me all this medicine. Then finally he sat me down. He said, I've got to find out. He said, I want you to go through your day. And I said, I'll read the newspaper. He handed me a newspaper. He said, read it. I pulled out my magnifying glass and put it on, and uh, it was like a loop, and started reading it. Ah, I got it. That is the newspaper ink. The only newspaper that would not give me a headache was USA Today, which I did not like. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> well, I'm sorry yeah. that you've uh, you've experienced vision loss, uh, John, but uh, I appreciate you calling. I appreciate your perspective, and uh, it's always interesting to uh, go back and look at how different things might have been if uh, not for something like an o-ring uh, you're you're exactly right it was a um, you know a, a 
rough thing. What an article to end with in terms of print journalism. And thank you very much. You know, that's the anniversary of that is coming up in about two weeks. So maybe we'll do something. Maybe we'll do a whole challenger thing. In addition to our regular segment with Dr. Sky, I'd love to get maybe some of the people that were involved in that to comment. You know, I've been in touch with Pat Buchanan a little bit via email. And, you know, he's made clear he's not up for you know, doing radio interviews these days. Fine. But uh, I'll see if he can kind of refer me to a couple of people that might have been in the White House at the time that uh, that, that occurred. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Joe is in New Jersey. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Joe here. Hi, uh, Frank. Uh, thanks for being there. Sure. Uh, two, uh, you have a... Uh silly question and two serious what-ifs uh, on your grammatical uh, interest. Remember Abbott and Costello, they had a famous routine. How about if they started it with whom is on first? <laughs> yeah, well, again, I think you'd need a preposition before that in order for it to make sense, but sure. Okay, I like it. Yeah, okay. That's a, that's a quip. And now, seriously, I believe we could have or probably eliminated at least one or two of the uh, planet's wars that is occurring currently. What if uh, I call him Mr. T, of course, you remember that guy, but I call Donald T-R-U-M-P, Mr. T now. What if he had built and was allowed to build a hotel in Kiev? Do you think they would have bombed Kiev and Ukraine? All that war would have been out. Another one would be October 7 was the uh, music festival, was that a musical, uh, Frank? Right. That was a music festival. Right. Now, here go your ratings. They're going to go boom, 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 boom. Here's how would if Taylor Swift was there. Do you think they would have been bombing that? Place. Well, it's a, I, you know, obviously, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're trying to um, say about Trump and having a hotel in Kiev, uh, but I guess you're trying to say that uh, because yeah. Putin and Trump are close, that he wouldn't have attacked a country that had a Trump hotel. Exactly. exactly. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's ridiculous, honestly. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Chicago. I just sent a note to um, 
Tony Orlando to see if he would uh, be up for coming on with us next week. I uh, just saw he's doing his final concert in Atlantic City uh, in March, March 22nd. It's going to be the final concert of his whole career. I'm going to try and get tickets to that. I'm going to see if maybe I can ask Tony on air and maybe I can get a couple of tickets for free. But no, even if I have to pay, that's I mean, that's really historic. He's saying that um, this is going to be his opportunity to say goodbye. I'm not much of a concert goer, but for something like Tony Orlando's final show, that's it's uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. So I think that's uh, I think that's great. So that's going to be um in March of this year, I believe. So uh, that'll be fun. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. E. Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes. Uh, hello, Frank. Uh, hopefully, uh, Tony Orlando will remember my person in his last concert in Atlantic City because he, he remembers very well that his cousin retired uh, detective uh Kevin Schroeder, I gave his cousin a hard time years ago back at the Stanley Hotel when he was driving a bus there as a tour a driver as well. You know, the- I, um, I go to this restaurant once in a while that Kevin Schroeder also goes to, and he um, his picture's on the wall, and the owner of this restaurant says that Kevin Schroeder is the nicest guy in the world. Why would you give him a hard time? Let me tell you what happened back in 1991 at the Stanley Hotel in Estes, Colorado. Uh, I used to. You know who I blame uh, for the story we're about to suffer through? Me. Why did I express interest? I'm trying to be a sport. Calm down. Why are you so paranoid? I was interested when I was 21 years old. This is my penalty. This is my penalty. He was always talking about making jokes on the bus. He was always very friendly. Uh, we had a tour guide named Jaime Gutierrez, Colombian gentleman who, who assisted him sometimes on the Grand Union tour bus. And, you know, it was awful what I gave him because I, I would scare the uh, passengers on the on the tour bus saying there are spirits running around the Stanley Hotel. I see. All right. Well, I take back my, my cynical question, E. Frank. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just was wondering, uh, you know, if you believe that perhaps what you said about the gasps in the uh, are uh, the space vessels that uh, NASA sends into space is a, is a serious issue, like uh, the space shuttle uh, Columbia, the Challenger, the first Challenger space shuttle, because uh, I studied, I regret not ever having finished my course of study in college. Uh, I studied very, very intensely for a first semester um, aircraft uh, uh, operations or airplane operations and aircraft maintenance. And I, because I didn't get a perfect A-plus on my first uh, uh, aircraft materials project, uh, I couldn't continue in my degree program. It was, you had to be that perfect to understand the uh, uh, rivets, uh, uh, bolts, you know, composite parts of commercial airliners to actually be, do well and, you know, go into aerospace technology. And I was just wondering if you think that maybe you believe that, you haven't mentioned that they're incompetent personnel at NASA that don't know what they're doing, even with their doctorate degrees and all their experience. Yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, thank you, E. Frank. Uh, I don't think that the personnel at uh, NASA is incompetent at all. I think there's some very smart people at NASA. I actually think uh, this is one area where I'd be willing to invest a little bit more in public money. 
if you look at um, what we're spending, and this is where I agree with some of the complaints. I'm going to get into this a little bit next. Um, you know, uh, next time we talk to Brian Kilmeade. But if you look at some of the complaints of the House Freedom Caucus and a lot of these Republicans that are upset with this deal that Mike Johnson just made, spending in Washington has gotten absolutely out of control. Let me give you a few numbers. In 1995, non-defense spending, well, defense spending is a totally different animal, which is already, okay, save that for another day. Non-defense spending in 1995 as a percentage of the GDP, excuse me, 1955, 5.1%. We're not talking raw numbers, just percentages. That's not 1955. If you look at 2000, not long ago, the year 2000, non-defense spending as a percentage of GDP in the budget, 12.6%. If you look at last year, non-defense spending as a percentage of GDP in the U.S. budget, 18.6%. And if you look at raw numbers, it's even scarier. $7.5 trillion in 2020. Um, $10.8 trillion in 2021. $9.4 trillion in, um, no, excuse me, that's just quarter two of 2020, $10.8 trillion. We're at $9.4 trillion in quarter two of 2023. And the percentage of Americans who said reducing the budget deficit should be a top priority for the president and the Congress last year, 42%. The percentage who say it should be a top priority for the president and the Congress now, 57%. I'm with them. I'm part of that 57%. The space program is one area where I'm willing to spend a little bit more. I think it's embarrassing that we haven't been to the moon in a half a century. Your influence counts. Music.